0: Amen, amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Amen. We're getting closer, and I think you can do a little better than that. We don't say this once a year, right? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's better. It's better. Um,. We are in a series called The the Love That Changed the World, and Jesus really was that love that changed the world. In the past two weeks, we've witnessed in this Advent season the hope that comes and the promise of a Savior and the love of God evidenced in the birth of the long-awaited Son. News of the birth resounded through the cities and the hillside, generating uniform response for those who had awaited a dark period of 400 years of silence. That response was Joy. It led John the Baptist to leap within the womb and to provoke his mother. You see, the leap with inside the womb of Elizabeth, the old postmenopausal woman who was barren from the beginning of days. It led John the Baptist to leap within her. And this leap was different than any movement she had felt with the unborn child at this point. It signified something different. The movement was unusual and she could point to it immediately and then she preached, then she prophesied, but she spoke to the unusual movement. How many of you um, men specifically watch the unborn child in your wife's stomach? You know what I'm talking about? Women who have carried a child, know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I was sitting with Heather on our couch when we were expecting our firstborn son. And I remember she was getting close to that period where he was going to come because she was just kind of um, ripe, you know? (laughs) And I remember watching, it was getting tight in there, not a whole lot of room. And I remember watching his elbow go from one side of her body across the exterior of her stomach like like this, right? And I went, what was that? It was some like, it signified like the response you see out of some science fiction film, like Alien. I didn't know if he was coming out, (laughs) you know? And it freaked me out at first. But then I was able to think on, because I... You know, I've read to him. He's heard my voice. He's heard her voice. But then I thought, that's, that's my son that just moved. That's my son. And it, it built an anticipation within me. And then when, when he got here, I held him and I looked at him and I saw her DNA and my DNA looking back at me. And I just, it was hard to contain. My eyes got itchy, you know. I wept because I was able to meet the son that I'd waited for. And see, this leap inside of Elizabeth was the relief of silence for centuries long of of darkness and silence. Like let me let me say it if you will if it's okay. Let me let me. John's first sermon came from within the womb in the form of silent prophecy. Amen. And it led a chain reaction from him to his mother who again would preach immediately. She prophesied. And then that spread to Mary and to Zacharias. So like it was, it was an amazing picture that we got to look at. But, but then you got to think like up until this point in the advent season, we've looked at two weeks. Every prophet came with a message and that message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you look at the, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in the birth of Jesus that flipped things on head last week, this week is innately different. It's succinct. It's set apart. Why? Because them coming signified why we celebrate. This week is called, if you, have, if you come from an ecumenical background or maybe a Catholic background, maybe you come from a more liturgical strand of worship than ours. This is Gaudete in the Latin. It means Rejoice Sunday or Joy Sunday, if you will. And that's why it is signified with a pink candle. It is different and set apart. And the message that came changed the world. That message came and look at who he gave it to. You see, up until this point, Jesus enters the world and the only people who are aware of it are his parents. They're in a stable and he's sitting in a feeding trough until the shepherd is made aware. The message comes to the shepherd, and the message will come from the shepherd. Listen, a pronouncement of such magnitude, any the most important person to have ever been born to mankind just came into the world, and there he lies in a stable. This has never happened before, right? I mean, if this were left in the hands of human publicity teams, News would have raced to the houses of prominent political figures, dignitaries, global leaders, even religious luminaries. We would have gone to the Kremlin or the White House to hear and to see. But in the hands of God, it was brought to the very people that it was prophesied and promised that it would come to. In Isaiah 61, it said that he came to the afflicted, the captive, the brokenhearted, the lowly, And the needy, he shows up for the shepherd. In verse 8, I'm going to read from Luke 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day uh, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away, From them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Now let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. For it is written, and what is told them. I want to give you one point today, one point. It's all we have. I may explain it with three subpoints, but we have one point. <laughs> Joy breaks out because he comes to the shepherd first. Joy breaks out in the world because he comes to the shepherd first. We signify this Sunday as different with a pink candle because the message signified a change in the world. Joy is now broken out. This is also referenced in ecumenical circles as the shepherd candle. Why? Because joy came to the shepherd. I want to signify the importance of the shepherd, Subpoint one. He comes to the least likely and most needy, as promised in Isaiah 61. See, before... Before the dark intertestamental period of 400 years, the Old Testament, the shepherd was actually well respected and revered. In fact, if you think about who, with whom the covenants of Israel sit, you're, you're thinking about Abraham. You think about Moses, you think about David, all men who were occupied the title of shepherd. They're all men who were shepherds. And so you have all the promises of the people Israel in each covenant leading to the next in the hands of shepherds. Shepherds were the priests. They were set apart spiritually, the Levitical priests, to shepherd the presence of God into the people. But you see, after the Old Testament and during the intertestamental period where it became starkly religious and ritualistic... There's no widespread revelation of God. God is basically silent and the people are going through things as routine. Anyone ever been there in church? So things lost significance. Deep meaning was lost. And the shepherd, the meaning of the shepherd was lost as well. In fact, in the New Testament, after the Old Testament, the shepherd was considered an unsavory character. They were people of poor reputation. These are the bottom rung of the social ladder. They're uneducated, unskilled, considered dishonest and unreliable. In fact, lawfully, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Why? Because the shepherd was someone who had to be with his sheep seven days a week. Sheep required that kind of attention. Which means if they were giving full attention seven days a week, they were probably inconsistent, is a nice way to say it, at keeping Sabbath. And if you're guilty of the law, you're guilty of what? All of it. And so these men were considered ceremonially unclean by the religious leaders. And they were told that. They were in continuous violation of the law. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They weren't considered respectable because they're uneducated and unskilled men. And as they kept watch over their sheep by night, you see, during the day, they would let the sheep go into the field and let them graze and wander. And for the most part, you know, it was a little more freeing. But at night, they would move them into sheepfolds. And in the sheepfolds, they would give the shepherds opportunity to take uh, shifts, if you will, to watch over the sheep because they had to sleep at some point. These things required seven day a week attention, but they had to sleep at some point. So they would shift, they would sleep in rotation and take shift. And these sheep specifically are really important because these sheep are not found deep in the wilderness. The proximity of the angel showing up to these shepherds specifically would have put them in close geographical region to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. So these sheep weren't the kind you just raised for goods. These sheep had a specific purpose. These sheep were the sheep being raised for sacrifice in the temple. I have a feeling that when these shepherds who have a poor reputation with the rest of the world, but have a really important job, given that they're raising this specific sheep in close proximity to the city. And as they're sitting in sleeping rotation over the sheep that evening, as they're in the sheepfold, I have a feeling. How many of you have been, ever been like startled or awakened when you're sleeping? And when you're when you're someone who works with your hands quite a bit, you're out working. You know, you ever had that deep sleep after manual labor? I have a feeling these men could sleep. And they had probably trained themselves to go to deep sleep really quickly. But that night I have a belief that they weren't sleeping when all of the sudden, a light from heaven breaks the darkness. Like the Shekinah glory of God, the kind we can't look upon or we'll be left blind. Like, boom, hits the darkness of this area. And then a voice, an angel appears and speaks. It says that a multitude of angels appear around them. Now, we don't know how many that means. But what we do know is in the word myriad, the word myriad, there is no greater word numerically in the Greek language. Myriad means 10,000. And in Revelation 5, it says 10,000 upon 10,000. There's not a, this is unprecedented. There's not a greater showing of angels appearing at one point in scripture anywhere but right here in Luke 2. This is it. And so we understand, we interpret that this must mean tens upon thousands of angels have showed up in chorus. This is not like your nativity picture where it's one angel and maybe a buddy. They all show up and it shows up nowhere else in Scripture to the shepherd, the least likely, the least qualified to go, this is different. And they startle from their sleep as they take this all in. They're witnessing this, the things said to them. Shepherding was not uh, an illegitimate job or even irreputable. In fact, I want you to remember they've just lost the significance of it. It was a really important job. If these men didn't tend these sheep, they wouldn't have something as like, flawless as they could possibly get. That's what they tried to keep these sheep for, for sacrifice. So it wasn't irreputable. Sometimes people who are doing a really good job just get a really bad rap. Amen? Amen? I mean, we'll move on. Isaiah 61 said the good news was brought to the afflicted. The shepherds were humble. They were lowly. The initial response in them was fear. Now, this would make sense. If you're on in the middle of sleeping rotation, maybe a little in and out of sleep, and this picture shows up, I think you'd be frightened. This makes sense. It also stays in congruence with the narrative that we understand Happened in the Old Testament whenever the angel spoke or the angel or the Lord himself showed up, people were frightened. When he showed up to Zacharias, what? Frightened and left mute. When he showed up to Mary, frightened, the first words, do not be afraid. You see, because the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's good, because that references teachability and it references repentance. But today is different. You see, the message they're giving is different today. You can't experience the joy of the Lord without repentance. You can't experience the joy of the Lord without teachability. However, for those of us who have trusted upon the name of the Lord, who recognize that we were the unskilled, we were the depraved, we were the afflicted, then the message of joy or the, the embarking of joy comes forth from our lives as we embrace Jesus. Why? Because the man of God... The man or woman that is sitting here, me, you, was just brought into the fold of the family of God, was just called daughter or son of Jesus, like the Lord, like daughter of, or son of God, we've been brought in. Hello? So only joy should radiate from our lives because the message, the, the heartbeat of the message that Gabriel gave that night was this, today for you, a savior is born. That will be to all people, not just the Jew, to all. And this is huge because, see, today we have a tendency to look back at uh, the Old Testament. And we have a tendency to look at the God of the Old Testament. And we see someone who is oftentimes vengeful, angry, and interpreted as a God of condemnation. I've heard of a lot of New Testament churches that don't like to preach the Old Testament because of that. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Hands raised. I just want to know if we're on the same conversation. Okay? Here's the thing. That's simply a poor interpretation. The truth of God is that in the Old Testament, the people of God knew that God was was a loving Savior. And that he was a deliverer. If you read the book of Judges, Judges means deliverer. He'd always come when they needed him most. And the prophecy of a Messiah was something they'd awaited. So when it broke the silence of 400 years of silence and darkness, Rejoice breaks out all over. Rejoicing breaks out. Why? Well, because because he told the shepherds first. He came to the shepherd, but then he tells the shepherd. These unsavory, socially ostracized individuals become the messengers. They're not the rabbis sitting over the Sanhedrin. They're not even those that were selected to go further in rabbinical school. These are the least educated. He comes to the shepherd. You see, these individuals were particularly important because, because as I said before, they're, they're watching over the sheep that will go before sacrifice. That means they were probably devout and faithful men, even though they had gained the rep that they weren't. They probably were. We know this in the testimony of the, of the angel himself because it says, it says that greetings on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's actually better translated from the text this. Towards men of goodwill. Towards men of goodwill, those who are devout, even if everyone else says you're not. They're so these shepherds were the Hebrew school rabbinical school dropouts. They're not the rabbis sitting over the Sanhedrin. Leading and teaching the people religiously or with a lot of regalia. These are the shepherds. And it says that when they spoke, everyone marveled at this truth. Much like the disciples that Jesus would choose when the babe was grown, He chose the tax collector. He chose the fisherman. He chose you. He chose me. He came to the shepherd. It's almost a preemptive picture when he chooses the shepherd to tell them first of what the ministry of Jesus would be, we said that the love that changed the world flipped everything on its end. That's why when Jesus says, in my kingdom the last shall be first and the first shall be, holds weight. That's why when he says, whatever you do to the least of these you've done unto me. This is the difference in who Jesus is. It's radical. This is not what they've been taught. In their religious system, what they've been taught is this. That the rich and the religious are the blessed of God. The poor and the uneducated or unskilled are hated by God. I don't mean to say that lightly. That they've been accursed. That they've been afflicted. And here's the thing. The afflicted are the ones giving the message. The afflicted, the condemned, the broken hearted are the ones who are going to give it away. It's amazing. And to think that they're, they're hearing this and they're being told you're going to see a sign. That sign will be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes sitting in a feeding trough. No other pro- predominant figure born to mankind has ever been treated so shamefully. Have you considered this? Like like if the pronouncement of a king resounds through palaces, the announcement, the pronouncement of the most important figure to ever grace the earth with his presence, the king of kings, is found in a stable. God is present in the world once again and almost no one knew it. His parents stood there watching the baby and the next to know are the shepherds the least likely no other person on the planet would have been treated like this but yet Jesus sits in the humblest of fashion and here's the proof of the sign that the shepherds they show up and once they witnessed it they run and tell everyone And their message ran rampant causing joyful stir within the people of God because they knew the promise had come. Uh, Luke 2, 17 and 18 says this. Now when they had seen him, everything they had experienced in the middle of the night in that beautiful picture frightening terrifying picture where they were told not to be afraid comes true and it says now when they saw him they made widely known saying which was told them concerning the child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds this is huge it didn't come from the religious elitists it came from you it came from me It came from the picture of the unsavory in their society, the very people Jesus came for, which is our third point. The shepherds were told so they could joyfully go tell. The shepherds were told so they could in joy go tell. These chosen messengers were asked to reveal the most celebrated birth of all time. These humble peasants were selected to go as preachers. How many of you don't have it all together? How many of you, your, your neighbor just lied? Didn't raise that hand. Don't you see yourself in the narrative of the shepherd? Don't we see ourselves here—the afflicted, the broken-hearted, the needy, the lowly, the humble peasants? Don't we see ourselves here in need of a savior? I have good news. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, the shepherds, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen? Amen. Now, how many of you are great, grateful for the mercy of God on you and in your home and in your family? Amen. Amen. Yes. It is because of the mercy of God that we rejoice and we share joyfully. Luke two twenty says, this, "Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that had happened, all they had heard and seen, and it was that were told to them." The response of the church of Jesus, that has welcomed a Savior, entrusted on Him, who was the sacrifice for salvation, is one of grateful joy. But let me ask you this. How much does joy radiate from your life? How much does joy radiate from your home? So much so that your neighbors catch notice, your co-workers catch notice, your classmates see the joy evident in your life. We have a joy eternal and secure. This season should radiate from all who call upon the name of Jesus and unto all that we encounter. It should be at the forefront of our minds. It should be the very beat of our hearts. It should be our response even this morning. As we gather here, and I I stand with only one thing separating you and me, and it's not the candle that signifies the joy. It's an altar. I stand with the altar before me, The message was joy. The true, the the eternal security, that was joy. But it was only embraced through repentance. Listen, this morning you may be someone who's trusted on Jesus for salvation, which I hope that is true because in my life I have the greatness of the Spirit of God residing in me because of what Jesus did. And that radiates joy. But if I'm honest, it doesn't always. I don't know that people in my life would say the joy of Jesus radiates from who I am. So here it is. It's my prayer request today. Whether at this altar or pinned to the cross, it's my prayer request. That the joy of God would radiate forth from me to all that I encounter, whether it be at home or at work or at school or wherever God may carry me. Because I have been called as a shepherd to give the message I was the unsavory, afflicted, brokenhearted, and in need. Anyone else with me? And so today, it may be a praise that that you need to pin to the cross or come to this altar and find yourself kneeling. It may be that praise that God chose you and me. He chose to make us the messengers, the shepherds. It may be that that is what drives you to his table today. And I encourage you to not go alone. That you remember the sacrifice of his broken body and shed blood to give you life. He died so that you wouldn't have to. He came to die. For you. For me. For your home. For the home of those around you that have also experienced that same joy. Here's what I want to encourage you today. There's going to be a lot of movement as we respond. I want you to respond. Take your family to his table. Take a family in your life that you're grateful for. And with joy, take the communion today. Together. Because not only do you have Jesus, you have each other. How many of you are grateful we have community? God didn't create us and isolate us as islands unto ourselves. We have resounding freedom this morning. We are a royal priesthood adopted by the Father, by the sacrifice of His Son. And we are joyfully called to proclaim those praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This morning we're going to respond. I'm going to ask you to stand. With joy in our hearts, I want to respond to the word of the Lord and the move of God in this room. This is going to be our prayer. I'm going to read from Isaiah 61, and you're going to read in response with me. And then that's going to open the altar, the crosses. Our prayer partners will be in place. If you need to pray with them, it will open the table. This is our formal time to respond. But I, as a people, believe that we have responsibility to respond to God. Amen? The very presence of God came into the world, was found in a major, and he's found right here in this room right now. Isaiah 61 says this The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. He has sent me to the to to the captives, and the opening of the prison. of our God, to comfort our all who mourn, to console those who mourn in time, to give them new the ashes, the oil of the joy of mourning, the kind of praise the Spirit of heaven, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. For I, the Lord, love justice. I pray the joy of the Lord, my so soul, so he has clothed me in garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its plants, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to bring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. This morning we greatly rejoice in the Lord. You, me, we're the shepherds. You rejoice this morning as we respond to God's word and to God's move. His stirring upon you, upon me today. Amen.